0: So please rise for the reading of God's word. Colossians 1 verses five and six. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You may be seated. Good morning. Ah, uh, got to pull myself together here a little bit. Uh, nine years ago, God brought me to this church, to Thornhill Baptist Church. Um, a young man lost, troubled, trying to find his way in the journey called life with a lot of struggles, a lot of personal issues, a lot of personal demons to deal with. And, uh, and yet God, in his sovereignty and providence and wisdom, knew what he was doing all along. Um, because I have, a, I have peace. This is where I am supposed to be, and this is where I am going to spend the rest of my life, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, because Jesus has transformed my life. Um, I was the lost wretch. And, uh, and God did show His love for me. And uh, He's been showing His love through me into other people's lives as well, uh, my, my own family, and also giving me the opportunity to, to share the truth that we're broken, we're separated from a holy God, but because of what Jesus did with His death and resurrection, we can be reconciled with that holiness, with our Creator. So uh, I'm excited for the journey ahead. Um, God's got plans for us at Thornhill. Somebody prayed this morning that the empty pews around you, that God would bring those people who need to be here, those lives that are yet to be changed right here in the Thornhill community, but also around our neighborhoods, because we, some of us come from different neighborhoods, and God wants to use us to impact them. So today, we're looking at the time, and we're celebrating communion after, so um, I had planned on preaching verses five and six today. I think we're going to just go through verse five and uh, as I've been doing so far with these sermons as I've been following Paul Godhard 's sermon series, uh, Pastor in Vegas," and uh, he's been leading his sermons with Bible interpretation principles at the beginning of each sermon. I'm going to skip that today and pick that up again at a later date and uh, we're just going to jump right into the Word of God here, because I think that's where I feel most comfortable. So, last Sunday we, uh, we talked about encouraging each other in difficult times. We saw that the church in Colossae was going through a tough time because they were under spiritual and theological attack. We were reminded that at any given moment, each of us are in the middle of a difficult time, or some of us are just coming out of a difficult time, or some of us are going to be heading into a difficult time. And no matter where you are or what your circumstance is, Jesus Christ is enough. He is all you need. And that is the big idea. The whole theme of Colossians centers around that truth, that Jesus Christ, in him, you are made complete. And we also came to the conclusion that it's not an issue of if you're going to come under spiritual attack, if you're going to go through a tough time, but it's just a matter of when. And, of course, how you will respond... We saw that the Apostle Paul responded with a warning about false teaching that was creeping into the church, but he also responded with a letter of encouragement to these believers at Colossae, and he encouraged them this way in verses 3 and 4. Number one, he thanked God for what he had done. Number two, he identified him, he identified with them, and number three, he prayed for them. And number four, he encouraged them in what was going well. Those were the four points we looked at last week. And today we're going to pick up in the last section of verse four and start to unpack all that was going well with this church. But first, let me begin with a word of prayer. Oh, Father, we pray that your word would come alive in us today, that your spirit would teach, help us to receive the message of truth that you have for each of us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. So this church in Colossae had a great reputation, a great testimony, not only in the little city of Colossae, but in the known world at the time. They were known for six things, and this is found in verses 4 through 6. They were known for their faith in Christ, their love for all the saints, the hope that they had in heaven, how the gospel reached them and constantly bore fruit in their life, how proficient they were with the gospel. And of course, how they had love in the Spirit. And the first thing I'm going to do here this morning is help us to understand the context that this church in Colossae was dealing with, their setting. Because the the, the point that I'm going to make here is that our context does not define our victory in Jesus. So here's what I want you to do. Take that list that I just shared, those six points, and I want you to filter it through what you're about to hear. And I want you to see the environment, the setting in which this great testimony grew out of. So, first thing, I want to remind you of a few things here about the church at Colossae. It was not started by the Apostle Paul. It was started by a guy named Epaphras. And I bring that up because if you attach the Apostle Paul's name to anything, there's a certain amount of trust and confidence that comes with it. It's like if Billy Graham or Francis Chan or or Charles Stanley, John Piper, if some of these guys were to start a church today, you don't even have to go to that church to know that they're going to be solid, biblically-based, theologically sound church. But this church wasn't started by the Apostle Paul. We're talking about a church started by some dude named Epaphras. Some of you haven't even heard of him until this morning. What do we know about this guy named Epaphras? He wasn't an apostle. Jesus didn't stop him on the road to Damascus. He didn't write any of the books of the New Testament. We don't know anything about him, whether he was highly educated or if he was a fighter like Peter was. What do we really know about this guy named Epaphras? All we know is what the Apostle Paul tells us in the text, that he is our fellow bondservant, a faithful servant in Christ. And here's what I want us to get, that this was not a church started by a superstar. It was started by an average Joe, a faithful person who knew God. And take that with this next thought. This is not an established church. It's a new church plant. And we know that throughout history, established churches can handle storms a lot better than new churches. Because when problems come or trials come, the churches that have been around for a while, they they have an established leadership. They have an established theology. and, And the systems are set. And they're better able to weather storms when they come. But this this is a new church, and it's not only a new church. These are new believers. This is a first generation of followers of Christ at the Church of Colossae. And the church wasn't in a growing city with, with all kinds of resources, but instead it was a has-been city, a forgotten city, overshadowed by two wealthier neighbors, Laodicea and Heropolis. And add to that that they lived in a pagan city full of sin and idol worship where nobody cared whether you sinned or not. And don't forget to add to the fact that in this church, there, there's a mixed group of people, of Jewish and Gentiles. And for a couple of thousand years, these two people were enemies. I mean, when it came to the Jews, they would walk out of their way to avoid Gentile territories. And the Gentiles, they looked at the Jews like uh, a group that looked down upon them. And now you have this church with all these different elements in play. And, and, and this church has little to no resources Former enemies in the pews, they're young in the faith, living in a sinful pagan city, started by an average Joe. That church should not make it. That church should fold. That church shouldn't make it in that environment, but that's not the testimony that we read here in Scripture. That's not their story, but theirs is a story that is one of the strongest testimonies that we have in the New Testament. And here's what I want you to see. On this side of heaven, there's no perfect church setting. There's no perfect church environment. On this side of heaven, there's no Elysium. That was one of the summer blockbusters that came out this year. And and the movie Elysium was about this separation of people. There was this perfect society called Elysium where there was no problems of sickness or disease, no financial problems, political, relational problems were zero. It was just a beautiful, happy, worry-free society. Elysium. Well, that doesn't exist. On this side of heaven, there's no Christian Elysium, where everyone believes the same thing, and everyone loves Jesus the same way, and everyone acts the same way, and they're against the same things. Everyone just finishes church service every Sunday with potlucks. And it's, that's not reality. There's no such thing as the perfect environment. We live in a broken, hurting, and needy world. And as the church, we're not separated from that. In fact, sometimes, unfortunately, we as the church can add to that brokenness and that hurt. And the reason I say that, because the church itself is full of broken and hurting and needy people who have recognized that they need a Savior. And they're coming to church. We're coming here because we know we need help. And a lot of us here have met Jesus already, and we've been helped, and we're coming here to worship God together. And when you bring in past hurts and present hurts and drop it into one setting with people who are far from perfect, there's gonna be problems that come. Spiritual attacks should be expected, problems will be there. There's going to be issues in the church because the moment that you bring in all kinds of different hurting, broken, needy people with different issues, different thoughts, all these ideas in one spot, there's going to be tempers that flare. And and there's of these issues that happen and sin that comes out of it. I mean, that's just reality. So there's going to be spiritual attacks in the church and from out of the church. And the point is, if we look at our setting and our circumstance and we just say to ourselves, you know, if I lived at a different place, or if we didn't have these people over here, or our situation was different, or if we we didn't have this problem, then we could really live in victory for Jesus. That's the wrong perspective. Our life situation does not determine our victory in Jesus. Your setting does not determine your victory in Christ. My circumstance does not define my victory in Jesus. Amen. Do you get the picture? That's the church at Colossae. That's the background. Now let's get into the scripture. Verses 4 and 6. Like I said, I won't have time to go through it all today, but we'll go through the first three points. I'm going to start actually for context from verse 3 for maybe some of you who weren't here last week. Verse 3. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world, also it constantly bearing fruit and increasing even as it has been doing in you also since the day that you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. I'll stop right there. All right. The start of the first two sermons in the series. Um, just to recap for, for some people who may not have been here for the first two. Um, the, we know that the setting of Colossians, this letter is being written to a group of believers who are going through a tough time, they're under spiritual and theological attack by false teaching creeping in, and and this false teaching is about the supremacy and the superiority of Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul is writing to warn them about this teaching and encourage them. So, living in victory through a tough time, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Did you see that? Faith in Christ Jesus. It all starts there. And only you know if it's real. I don't. The person next to you doesn't. Only you know if your faith in Christ is real. Now there's a pretty easy way to find out. You want to know where you're placing your faith? Answer this question. When my life gets tough, I turn to fill in the blank. However you fill in the blank is where you're placing your faith in. And there's a ton of different ways to fill in that blank. We can say, when my life is falling apart, I turn to my spouse. I turn to my friends. I turn to my pastor. I turn to my church. I turn to my small group. Or I turn to recreation. When I'm in a tough time, I turn to alcohol or drugs or pills. I turn to destructive habits like pornography. I turn to something else. Whatever you turn to is what you're placing your faith in. Now, we also want to understand the source of what we're depending on, because God does command us to share our tough times with each other and carry each other's burdens. And it's not even an issue of whether or not people here want to help, because we're a family, brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to help each other in difficult times. But the issue always comes back to, are you expecting that person to fill your every need? Or is your ultimate dependence in God? For example, if a spouse is expecting their spouse to fill every need in their life, and, and and I know that's that's what Hollywood paints and the Hallmark channel, and you know, that when you get married, you're now complete. The other person completes you like the Jerry Maguire. That's not reality. Jerry Maguire is not reality. Listen, the only person who can fill your every need in life is God, not your spouse. And at the same time, if you put your church family in the spot to fill your every need, you're putting the church in the place of God. Because only God can meet your each and every need. The issue, always come back to the dependence, the source of your dependence. And in this scripture it says that the people of Colossae, they put their faith in Jesus Christ. And part of what is meant by that is salvation, is saving faith That is, they put their faith in Christ. He forgave their sins. He gave them eternal life. But it's not supposed to stop with salvation. It doesn't stop with saving faith. In the Greek, faith is to be persuaded that something is true and to trust into it. It's more than head knowledge that you agree with. It's also obedience. Faith that never makes it past the profession in Christ is not faith as the Bible declares it to be. And I have meeting here a couple of weeks ago with the elders and Jason and I were talking about this from the book of James. Jesus' half-brother says that faith without action is dead. Somebody who says, I have faith in God, but doesn't have the faith to let their life be transformed by the Spirit to a life of obedience, that is not biblical faith. It's just head knowledge. Because belief that's based on the Bible is more than knowledge in the head it's practical obedience and we know from chapters like 1 John 1 John chapter 1 1 John chapter 1 verses 2 and 3 or just verse 3 and by this we know that we have come to know him Jesus if we keep his commandments in other words how do you know if you have eternal life how do we know if we have a relationship with god How do you know that there's genuine intimacy between you and Jesus Christ? Because we keep his commandments. The faith goes beyond here. It goes to living faith through your hands, and your muscles. And you look at this phrase, in Christ Jesus, it means to find a place to dwell. It means to go into. It means to abide in. It means to find a home. And when he says that they're in Christ, he's saying that they are secure and they are anchored in Jesus Christ. Or let's take this idea for a moment. There are some Christians that will get upset because somebody has told them that the reason God's not answering your prayer is because you don't have enough faith. The reason that God is not healing someone in your life is because you don't have enough faith. If you just had more faith, then you would see more victory in your life. And then people think that the problem then is between them and God is my faith is not strong enough. You know, that's the whole premises of one of my first uh, movies that was leading me to explore things of God was a movie called Leap of Faith. And it was with Steve Martin, and, and, it, and it builds on this truth that it's not the amount of faith that you have but it's the object in which you put your faith into. Think of it like this. I've got to find a way to get hockey into every sermon. There's two people that got to play a game of hockey for everything they have in the world. And now this one person, he has a tiny little bit of faith, faith like a mustard seed, you could say, that having a team maybe with some NHL All-Stars like Crosby or Ovechkin, Maybe Stamko, Saginla, having a a lineup with those on his team. He has a little bit of faith that, that he might win. But then there's another guy, and he has tremendous faith. He believes in his team, even if his team is full of some Thornhill Baptist Church alumni, NHL hopefuls from our skating day last year. You guys remember we went out skating. I think that might be David's first time on skates. And Mark... And Debbie, is that your son? The point is, if you line those two up to take a face off, who's going to win the draw? Probably Sidney Crosby. Because it's not the amount of faith that you have in your team to win the game, it's the object in which you put your faith into. Okay? And what they're saying here in the text in Colossians is that their faith was in Jesus Christ. It was anchored in him. They were secure in him. He was the object of their faith. It didn't matter how much faith they had. It's who they had faith in. Not a program, not a people, not a pastor, not their setting, not any of these other different things, but Jesus Christ himself is what their faith was anchored into. And that is so crucial in living in victory during a tough time. Because if your faith is relying on your friend to always come through for you, just know that you're going to be set up for failure. If you think that your faith is going to be in your spouse to understand everything you're going through and, and, and for your pastor to know exactly what's on your heart and, and, and your church to just step up like we got this red phone to God and you know, God says so-and-so is having a tough day and you need to call them this morning and encourage them. If you think that's the way it's going to happen, then you're setting yourself up for more failure because your faith has to be anchored in Jesus Christ and nothing else. Amen. How do you live in victory during a tough time? Second point, you maintain a love for all the saints. That's the last part of verse 4. If you want to know if you're really anchored in Jesus Christ, read verse 4 again. We heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and the love that you have for all the saints. The evidence that you're secure in Jesus Christ is the evidence that you have a love for God's people. This is defined better again. Uh, uh, Jesus' buddy, John. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Some of your translations will be saying love for God's people. And, and this is two sides of the same coin because what Paul is saying in this letter is this is a proof test to help you understand if your faith is in Christ. If you have eternal life, is when eternal life is in you, you have love for God's people. And one of the most beautiful things of the gospel is that we become brothers and sisters in Christ. We become a family. And it doesn't matter where you worship or what your denomination is, where you're from, what your setting is, what your culture is, or your background is different. But the moment that you walk into a genuine group of followers of Christ, there's something that connects you together. It's almost like a friend that you've never met before. There's a bond that you have. And that bond is the Holy Spirit. It's binding and bringing the body of Christ together. And there's a love that doesn't come from you. It's an overflow of what it means to be transformed by God and Him loving others through you. I have two students, not from our church, but they participate In our senior high youth program here, they attend regularly, and I remember the first time I met their mom, Joyce, and Joyce and I got into a little talk, and I learned that they were from Kenya, and uh, and one thing she said that stuck out was that I was her brother because we were from the same tribe. And I, and I thought, okay. So she said, in Kenya, a lot of people introduce themselves by their tribe. So even though I was meeting Joyce for the first time, it was like she knew me from way back. And she just grabs my hand and brings me in, big hug, and it's a little awkward, and that's okay. And I smiled, and she smiled, because we're brothers and sisters from the tribe of the Lion of Judah, from the tribe of Jesus. Together, we're family and I'm not as outgoing as Joyce. Really, for those of you who get to know me, I am an introverted extrovert. It takes me a while to get comfortable with my surroundings. And then, and then it just comes out. And, and you know what? Maybe it's because my dad didn't hug me enough when I was younger. And maybe it's because when I was young, I wasn't raised in a family that was touchy and feely all the time. And, and, and you know what? We're getting there my family, we're getting there, we're giving out some hugs, and I'm getting there too, because Jesus has transformed my life. And all of a sudden, I'm not as intimidated with foyers packed full of people, because I see these people as family, as brothers and sisters in Christ from the Jesus tribe. And when I'm talking one-on-one with people, there's a love that God gives, because I know it's not from me. It's not who I am. It's not in my nature. It's a love that God gives and he builds in us because of Christ in us. Maintain a love for all the saints. Number two, we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. A love that you have for all the saints. Not just some. All. Not just the ones we agree with. All, not just the ones who look like us and worship like us and think like us and believe like us, but all. Here's the truth of Christians that are going through a tough time. They don't really care what you believe. They're just glad that another believer is hanging out with them. When people are suffering and people are going through a difficult time and they're under spiritual attack and they're looking for help, they don't care if your denomination is different. They don't care if you're free will or predestination. They don't care if you're a creationist or an evolutionist, if you're conservative or liberal. I'll tell you what, they don't even care what you think about the role of women in church or what you think about spiritual gifts. They're just glad that there's another believer around. The the scripture says that they had a love for all the saints. How do you live in victory while going through a tough time? You make sure your faith is in Jesus Christ. You maintain a love for all the brothers and sisters. And number three. We'll finish this last point here. It's at the end of verse five. And as, as I'm finishing this last point, I want us now to be thinking about communion. We have the bread and the blood, the grape juice, uh, that represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And... Uh, when we come into a time of communion, it's an opportunity for us as a family to become one and to worship this Lord and King, Jesus Christ. But at the same time, it's an opportunity for you to steal your heart, reflect, get quiet, be honest before God. Look at the sacraments, look at the bread and just think, you know, God, where, where am I in my relationship with you right now? Some of you are here today and, and, and you're not walking close with Jesus And maybe today is the day that you just let the sacraments pass you by. Let the bread and wine pass you by. But don't miss this opportunity to think about what God is doing in your life and what he wants to challenge you with in this upcoming week. Maybe it's time that you do a 180 and you start following more than head knowledge of Jesus, but through your hands and your muscles as well. And for others of us, you know what? we've been following christ for a long time and maybe we've gotten off the path and we need to reconnect so as we come into a time of communion steal your hearts focus on this last point and uh, and i'll close with this point remember the hope laid up for you in heaven oh The Apostle Paul connects their faith in Jesus and their love for the saints to the end of verse 5, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. And laid up here means in store or in reserve. And we find the Apostle Peter uses these same words when he speaks of an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved for you and me in heaven. Both the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter, they're tapping into the same understanding that this world, this setting, this life is not the end of the road. The reason they said that they could have hope to look for what has been reserved and what has been stored up for them in heaven, our hope is not in the here and now. Our hope is not that everyone's going to get on the same page. Our hope is not that the government is going to solve all our problems. Our hope is not that we're going to persuade everybody to think the same way and act the same way and do what we tell them to do. That's not the hope that we have. We do have hope in this life as well. And that is Jesus Christ in us, the hope of glory. We have hope in the fact that we have eternal life and that God gives blessings that are beyond measure. We have a lot in this life, but it's not the end of the road for the believer. There's more to have hope for in the future than there is to be sad about in the past. Because our hope is laid up for us, reserved for us in heaven. Think about it like this. According to the Bible, one day that eastern sky is going to split. And Jesus Christ, our Lord and King, is going to return. One day we will be reunited with those in Christ who have gone to heaven before us. One day there's going to be no more death, no more tears, no more pain, no more sin, no more suffering. One day we will see God face to face, as opposed to through a glass darkly, as Paul writes. One day we'll be able to worship in a way that's not held back by our flesh One day we'll be in the home that Jesus is building for us. One day our enemy will be silenced. One day we're going to move from being pilgrims to settlers. One day we're going to move from faith to sight, from hope to reality. We move from glory to glory. And what he's saying here is that there is a hope that is reserved for them in heaven. It's not this world. It's not here and now. According to the song and according to the scripture, he says we're just pilgrims. We're just passing through. Don't get so affixed to the here and now that it robs your joy of what's awaiting one day in heaven. How do you live victoriously through a tough time? You remember that this isn't it. You remember that life is going to get tough. It's going to be difficult. You're going to be under attack. But one day, Jesus Christ is going to return. It's going to be different. It's going to be different. Let me pray and uh, I'll ask the elders to come up and we'll finish celebrating communion. Oh, Father, you are good and the only reason we have access to come to you at all is because Jesus Christ paid it all on the cross. We were separated from a holy God in our sin held Jesus to that cross. And God, I pray for each and every one of us that we do not forget what happened on the cross, that we, 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 we don't become desensitized that our Lord died there for you and me. But it didn't end there. He did rise again. The resurrection is what holds this all together. We are a people of the resurrection. That's what makes the gospel different from any other faith system in the world. Jesus overcame death, and he's alive and well, and he lives in me, and he lives in us, and your Holy Spirit is moving in people these days. And what a time we need you to move. So as brothers and sisters, saints here at Thornhill, those who have yet to come through those doors to know the truth of the gospel, God, would your Spirit draw them, draw us, teach us, tell us what we need to do, get us on the right path. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, together we'll rise up and impact this world, being the hands and feet of a caring God. I love you, Jesus. I thank you. It's in your name that we pray. It's all because of you. Let your spirit have his way among us as we go into a time to celebrate communion as a family. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.